everything exists within the harmony of something that's more essential here. We need to tune into that, guys. We need to feel into that. And and that's where things like, you know, tuning into what's the higher purpose of a business. You know, what are the deeper aspects which we're actually, you know, contributing and playing into that's not just about the bottom line and having more money or more shares or whatever. Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hi, hey, and hello, and welcome to Series 9, Episode 2. So today's theme is I for Identity. And the one question that we're exploring is, how can I uncover the leader that I am? Now, to help me answer this question this week, I have with me Neil Seligman. Neil is the author of the book Conscious Leadership. He is a mindfulness expert and he's founder of The Conscious Professional. It's a consultancy through which Neil provides coaching and workshops and keynotes and he's an incredible speaker. So welcome, Neil. I'm really delighted to be chatting to you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here speaking with you, Alka. Oh, amazing. Well, look, we're talking about your favorite topic and a key topic for me as well, which is which is leadership. Now, I know that there will be many people listening today who will probably naturally identify as leaders. And I guess most commonly by virtue of job roles or career positions. So CEO or manager or business partner lends itself to that role, that identity of, of leader, doesn't it? But I think there'll also be others who might not automatically use the word leader to describe themselves. And I'm thinking about parents here because there are commonalities between parenting and leadership. So the first question I probably wanted to kick off with, Neil, is what is your definition of a leader? So that's a great question. Actually, in the introduction to my book, I I talk about the fact that we're all leaders, Every single person, you know, at least within my definition, is a leader because it is it is the human being's job to lead themselves through the narrative of their life. Um, so it's not just about you know how many how many people report into us, um, you know, whether that be our two children that are sort of looking at us and, and you know looking for the way to to get through life, or whether it's our team of ten or ten thousand that you know we're working with in a business setting. Um, there's this also this aspect of of self leadership, which is really primary in a life lived well. Um, and so I think leadership is something that we can uh, learn to embrace from whichever part of the journey that we're on. Um, and by doing that, we, we're really entering into the path um, of, of self-development in a way that is going to prepare us to be you know, the best leader we can be at the different kind of junctures of our life as, our, as the chapters unfold. Um, So I have a really wide definition of leadership, and I think it helps us all to think of ourselves as leaders um, so that nobody's excluded from that. It's a journey that we're all on. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You, you look at it that way and that idea of self-leadership, because I think more commonly people think about leadership as something sort of almost external to themselves, don't they? There's the leader and there's the follower and I'm, and I'm, and I'm the leader. But it's really interesting to really think about how can you possibly lead others if you haven't actually started with, with that self-leadership. So, so where does that discovery start? How do you start to go on that journey of self-leadership, first of all? Well, I think the, you know, the path of leadership really is the path of self-development. <clears throat> so, you know, we, in order to serve others better um, and to be someone who others will place their trust in, um, it really is this um, important aspect of, you know, how can I uncover the roadblocks within myself that are blocking my potential? And so some people have a lot of appetite for this and some people less so, and it can change throughout a lifetime. But uh, for me, it's been something that I've always just been really enthusiastic about and, and um, you know, so interested in uncovering all of the roadblocks in my body and being, I still take it as my, my sort of regular practice really is scanning my body and being for constrictions, <laughs> whether it comes up in my meditation practice, in my interaction with my boyfriend, in my interactions with my colleagues, when I'm working, I'm scanning for like, what are the things that trigger me that cause me to constrict the restrict my flow um, and what's going on there and how can I uncover that? And then I have a team of people, um, my own coach and mentors and people like that, that I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Like, why is this a blind spot? What's, what's this about? Um, and I think it's that sort of appetite for, okay, let's, let's keep clearing me out. Let's, you know, keep practicing so that I become more of a container for what's true, what's possible, that I'm open to more points of view, that I'm able to be more creative and um, really live in the moment. Because I think that is, um, you know, I've described it maybe a little bit nebulously, but it's that kind of idea that we're looking for. Um, when we're talking about the journey of leadership. So you use the word conscious leadership. Your book title is Conscious Leadership, isn't it? And I think leadership has gone through so many fashions in a way through, through decades and centuries from being the sort of diplomatic leader to the directive leader. But you talk about conscious leadership. And there was a sentence in your book that, that really struck out for me, which is where you say conscious leadership is not about I say and you do, it's about I welcome and we create. So tell us more about that, Neil. Yeah, so I mean, we've seen this huge kind of shift um, over time and it, it's still going on, like conscious leadership isn't, I would say the norm in terms of leadership styles. Um, but the shift has generally gone from more of a sort of military command and control type of leadership where it's like power goes upwards and then the power says what to do downwards. Um, and then you get these sort of, you know, sort of functions like a military functions, like everyone knows what they got to do and, and they do it. Um, but then when you apply those sort of military mindsets to businesses, which is what happened <laughs> you know if you look back through the corporations they have quite military kind of ways of operating to start with you start to realize um that this model 
doesn't lead to um, good feeling within the business. It doesn't lead to inspired colleagues. It doesn't lead to loyalty. It doesn't lead to trust. Um, and I'm not saying that it, it wouldn't in a military setting. That's not my area of expertise. Um, but we've shifted from more of this command and control type of leadership into conscious leadership, mindful leadership, uh, emotional intelligent leadership. You know, there's all these different words that we're using really to describe the same thing, that we're not just talking now about, you know, the cleverest people are saying what to do. Um, we're looking into, you know, the, the emotional intelligence of an organization, consciousness, and I call it conscious leadership because it's all about awareness. Can we expand our awareness to embrace what's really happening in a, in a business, in a family, in our own lives and treat it as a creative process, which is intrinsically linked to the whole. Yeah. So in meditation, as we start to drop into our own awareness, we start to realize that um, the, the barriers and the boundaries between us and other uh, start to dissolve a bit. That kind of subject object boundary starts to become a little bit thinner and we start to realize, oh, there's this kind of, here's the breath and here's me. And am I breathing or am I being breathed? And we sort of realize like every single moment of life is this kind of beautiful collaboration. Um, and so as we bring more consciousness and awareness to business and to the way we live our lives and frame our lives, um, we start to realize that there is this sort of other deeper essential hum of life that's going on. And we can either be operating sort of against that. And we see a lot of businesses, um, you know, in the current setting, which are sort of eating each other and eating the planet. It's that sort of, you know, sort of the military model. You're seeing it playing out in the world of kind of fighting over resources, fighting over power. Um, and we then have generations who are looking around going like, what the F is going on here? Like, um, this, this is insane. Like, you know, we see this data coming out almost on a daily basis of how long we've got left if we keep running these types of programs, these models. Um, and then there's this other sort of awareness coming forward saying, no, this is, everything exists within the harmony of something that's more essential here. We need to tune into that, guys. <laughs> We need to feel into that. And, and that's where things like, you know, tuning into what's the higher purpose of a business, you know, what are the deeper aspects which we're actually, you know, contributing and playing into that's not just about the bottom line and having more money or more shares or whatever than the next board, uh, or the next company. Um, and really tuning into, you know, what are we really doing here? What are we really doing as, as a race, as humanity? Business can be heroic. It can be wonderful. Um, it can be beautiful. It can be creative. It can be part of the harmony. But it does have to arise from a consciousness that is attuned to, you know, attuned and aligned to the life force of, of what is here. Um, and that's a big ask, right? Because, you know, I wasn't raised that way. I've come to these ideas through, you know, reading a lot and um, discovering a lot. And then, you know, also, you know, through my own practice and, and so on. But um, it's not easy to implement these things in a way that's, that's speedy. That doesn't mean it's not possible. 
Um, but there's a real kind of acceleration curve that's needed, I think, um, for us to, to move more effectively towards conscious leadership and this type of conscious awareness that I'm talking about. So there may be people listening to what you've just said, uh, Neil, who are thinking, great, this is all well and good. And I want to be that conscious leader and have time to think and connect and really have the right yields for my organization. But as you've said, life is busy. And the idea of meditation, mindfulness, awareness automatically comes with the sense that this is going to take a big investment of time and I don't have that time to invest in my organization to do that. So what do you say to that? How can we bring some of this awareness, ideation, the way that we act very quickly into, into the, our world? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think you know one of the most important foundations for this is mindfulness. And, and one of the reasons we're seeing such a big kind of swell of interest in mindfulness at the moment over the last decade um, is that it's kind of offering us the map into a part of our human experience that many of us were excluded from because we just weren't taught how to safely navigate the inner world of thoughts, emotions, and sensations. It was kind of like, here's how to navigate in your exterior reality and do it really well. Um, and what's inside is kind of like, you know, let's just not talk about that. We don't really know how to deal with that. So forget about that. So mindfulness is kind of like, it's the arrow pointing inwards. Eyes point outwards on the human being. So we tend to see ourselves out in the world, but actually we're over here, right here. So mindfulness is the arrow pointing inwards and it's saying, okay, we do have this world of you know, physiology, um, we have thoughts that you know, run around in our brains. We have emotions that kind of sometimes feel physical, but also experience mentally. Um, and then all of these sensations that happen through our body and being. And it's like saying, okay, here's mindfulness. This is a map. So you can start looking around in this inner world, start to become a bit more com comfortable, confident with it start to notice that there are some different kind of layers of your own awareness. There's your kind of thinking reality. There's the awareness of your thinking reality. There is this kind of more connective sense of belonging and being in community that comes when we settle into the appreciation and, and gratitude of what's here. And, and as we start doing that, we also sort of get this kind of um, awakening that there's actually this dynamic process of life happening here. Sometimes we miss out on because we're so functional in the way we go through our day and our lives. And through mindfulness and you know, these simple practices, we're like, ooh, <laughs> there's this kind of dynamic living being here. And that's kind of awesome. Um, and it's through that, I think, that we, we can start to um, you know, make some of these more profound discoveries for ourselves. So, you know, I've created a an online course called Zen in 10 for busy people to essentially get most of the benefits of the mindfulness-based stress reduction course through just a 15-minute commitment over 10 days. And um, so a lot of my clients are busy professionals, like you know, like the the you know idea behind your question, they don't have time to you know spend hours every day meditating or you know for that. Um, but 15 minutes a day over 10 days, 
can give you everything you need in order to lock in a, a silent meditation practice. That's really the only aim of the course is so that you can sit for 10 minutes in silence and know what you're doing as you're meditating. And I think that's a really important foundation for people. There's so many apps which, you know, essentially in, in a lot of the apps, you're tethering to someone else's thought stream or music or, or something, and it's lovely and it can be great. And I, I really support and champion those as well. But I also think it's important to actually develop a meditation practice where you can meditate on your own, like, and just you know, to choose, right? I'm going to take five minutes and I'm just going to stop. I don't need anything. I don't need my phone. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to check in, um, work through my practice and just get a sense of myself here. Um, and I think that becomes a really important foundation um, for communication, for decision-making, for ideation, for brainstorming, um, for leading. Um, and, and I think this is one of the pieces that people underestimate how much that can give you, you know, just the, um, the, the idea that you can create some space from yourself and the trust that something new will emerge from that silence. Um, and that's always been kind of, um, I think, my sort of secret superpower is that you know, if I'm ever stuck with something, I can go and I just call it, I go and sit on it, <laughs> I go and sit on it, and um, and something will emerge. Um, and um, yeah, I'm very lucky that I've you know had had teachers and mentors who've really embedded that in me as the practice. Um, but it's something that I want to to share and, and you know, really, really get people to to notice the power of that through their own experience in their own lives and, and have real kind of real life outcomes from it. Gosh, Neil, you're literally firing off so many questions in my head. Sorry. <laughs> such richness in what you're what you're describing. So there's a couple of things that are coming to, to my mind as you're as you're speaking. One of those is about curiosity and having some fun with this. Like yeah. Actually, meditation, mindfulness can feel so serious, but the practice of it is actually really not just enlightening, but it puts a smile on your face. There's a real fun element to this discovery, isn't there, that comes from allowing yourself that, that space. So I just want to make sure that people don't feel this sense of heaviness around it. I love the idea of Zen in 10. It just sounds so, so bubbly, you know, awakening and, you know, really igniting. And I really want to make sure people recognize that, that mindfulness is that it isn't a necessarily a serious practice of getting deep. It's actually a lifting practice. Um, and then the second thing um, is practice, the word practice. You've used that a number of times, haven't you? And again, I'm very conscious as well that, that, it's not easy to empty the mind at all, um, to allow yourself that, that space for just trusting is the other word that you've used as well, is to trust yourself that whatever you need will, will come. So there is something there about that regular practice. It's just like going to the gym, as you mentioned, you know, you, you need to do these things regularly, A, in order to enjoy them and B, in order to to feel that sort of sense of fulfillment and journey through them um, as well. And you've got this other wonderful book, haven't you? 100 Mindfulness Meditation. So how can, how can that be used as well to draw out these sort of leadership characteristics in ourselves? Yeah, so um, lots of ideas there. Um, the, the 100 Mindfulness Meditations book, 
was designed really as a recipe book for meditation because I was getting bored with, <laughs> there seemed to be like about 10 meditations that people sort of taught or guided. Um, and I've always been a very creative person and I just started um, collecting the meditations that I was doing as I was teaching and realized I had quite a lot of them. And then <laughs> this book just sort of came to me um, and I would sit in meditation in the morning. It was like I was receiving a meditation and I'd go and write it down and the next morning I'd get another one. So I just sort of collected them all um, and then popped them into a book. So that's really um, the aim of that was just to inspire people's practice. And there are practices in, in there which are about learning mindfulness, but there's, a pra there's practices in there um, which are, you know, sort of fun activities that you can do. There's a mindfulness rave in there. Um, and, um, you know, things for children, um, mindfulness connecting a little bit with healing because my, my background, um, I started as a, as a Reiki healer. And so I sort of bring in a little bit of kind of hands-on work and intentional energy flow and those types of things. Um, so you're absolutely right. Mindfulness, um, you know, often this is one of the things I've maybe fought a bit against, but mindfulness has come through in quite a clinical way in our current world. Um, and that has been important because it, it has come through with the scientific backing, which it needed for it to get into secular environments. And so, um, you know, that's brilliant. But one of the things that um, was slightly problematic about that, I thought, was that a lot of people thought that there had to be something wrong with them before they should practice mindfulness and you know um and maybe that if they were thinking about mindfulness that they they were self-identifying as as having some sort of mental health issue that they didn't feel comfortable kind of with um so over the last decade obviously we've got much better at talking about mental health issues in a much more neutral way so like people aren't scared about saying oh i get anxious sometimes and sometimes i'm depressed depressed and you know we're, we're kind of better at that not brilliant, but we're getting better at that. So that's good. Um, but also mindfulness is something um, that for me is, is about the function of the human being. And so it's also about performance. It's about happiness. Um, it's about your general outlook on life. It's about optimism. Um, and so when I teach in corporate environments, often I'm, I'm sort of bringing in links between mindfulness um, and happiness as well. Because it's often a bit that we kind of miss out, particularly in a, in a professional world. Um, and to realize that kind of, you know, happiness is, is a bit of a skill. It's an orientation to the present moment, which for, you know, a lot of us can be a bit of a recalibration. So we have such a terrible negativity bias as human beings with these brains that kind of fixate on what's wrong and scan for danger. Um, it's um, it's a redirect to to notice the things that are good and to um, to look for the things that have made us smile and just to allow those to reach us. Um, I love the the Rick Hansen work about you know being brain being Teflon for the positive and Velcro for the negative and you know how can we overcome that and this sort of self directed neuroplasticity where we're really taking you know one thought and redirecting towards another requires a level of mindfulness to be seated in the awareness where you're like oh here's a thought it's negative it's sending me in this direction and here's me i can be aware of that and be like oh that's interesting and also go this way <laughs> um and i think mindfulness really supports that that and um 
you know, a lot of people, you know, might find that they came to mindfulness for one reason, but then it's given them so much more. Mm-hmm. And allowing that, and allowing that to happen, that exploration. So no, thank you so much for that. And now here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. Um, so Neil, let's get to some actions then that uh, that listeners can take. I'm always keen to go from knowledge to action. You've given us some incredible background to uh, to the work that you do, but I wonder if you can leave us perhaps with three actions that can help people to really uncover that conscious leader that is that is within them. It's within us all, isn't it? So what would you suggest? Brilliant. Um, so the first one is going to be a practice because I'm always championing practices. I think it's so important. Um, in my model, we go from values to outcomes through practices. Um, and so this is, this is probably the simplest, shortest mindfulness practice. <laughs> um, and it's called FHB. <clears throat> and we'll do it right now. So the F stands for feet on the floor. So feet on the floor means we're taking our awareness to the feet on the floor and just feeling the feet on the floor. So that's the beginning F. The second one is H and that's hand on heart. So we put hand on heart. So we've got our feet on the floor, we've got the hand on the heart. And as soon as you put your hand on the heart as a human being, you realize you're alive. You just can't help but realize you're alive. And there's something pretty magical about that. <laughs> um, so just feeling that warmth. And if we don't have, um, we don't feel good about putting our hand on a heart, just hold our hand. That's a, an alternative if we have heart problems or, or it doesn't make us feel good to put a hand on the heart. And then the B stands for body on breathing. So we've got feet on the floor, hand on heart, and body on breathing. And so it's just about bringing your awareness to the breath and feeling the physical sensations of the breath in the body. So we can do FHB in 10 seconds. You can do it for a minute if you want. If it's feeling good, do it for a couple of minutes. And you can just cycle through feeling the sensations of the feet on the floor, the hands on the heart and the body on breathing. And it just gives you a little cycle to sort of go through. And if we're doing that when we're feeling a bit anxious or a bit panicky or a bit down, do it for a couple of minutes and see what happens. That's practice number one. (laughs) Uh, Practice number two is um, gratitude. I know people talk about gratitude all the time, but it really works. It really works. And it's so simple. It's so simple. Um, So, you know, three things at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, um, as you reflect on your last 24 hours, um, just write down really specific things that made you smile, that made you feel grateful. Um, Let them be small, let them be specific. Um, And for most people, the experience is as you go through over the course of a week or so, uh, you'll have too many things to write down. You have more than three, and that's great, but you can only choose three. Um, but it just allows the mind <clears throat> to do this wonderful shift of scanning for danger to kind of looking out for things to be grateful for because you've got this list coming up. Um, and the last one is um, an invitation to take care of your I am statements. So I am statements. Um, and I am statements um, you know, can be anything from um, I am rubbish at public speaking um, to I'm cold. And, you know, so it's more things where you're like, okay, I have a story about something I'm not good at, can't do. I'm limiting myself in some way. 
Um, and I always try and invite people uh, when I notice I am statements that are limiting people in a coaching session or I'm working with them um, to see if they can either put it into the past tense. So I used to be rubbish at public speaking. I wonder if I'm any good at it now. <laughs> so sort of release it at least into a potential. Um, or sometimes we notice that our I am statements are historical in, which means they're no longer true. So we just tune into it. Is it still true? If it's not still true, drop that story. One of the most powerful things we can do is take care of our language, take care of the way in which we kind of name the aspects of our own narrative. Um, so FHB practice, gratitude, and a little review of your I am statements. Oh, love it. I can't tell you how, how fantastic that is. Um, the FHB, just having done that with you in this moment um, in itself has just lifted and, and changed, I guess, changed my emotional state in that instant. It really is that powerful. And I, and I love the way that you've previously talked about, you know, there is science behind all of this. And obviously, as a, as a medic, I appreciate all of that and the understanding that behind of it. And now we're translating it into this beautiful art form, which is with you all the time and you can call upon um, whenever you need. And um, particularly like what you've done with the I am statements, um, Neil. I use them a lot um, with my clients as well. Um, but actually, you've almost reverse engineered them, haven't you? Instead of that positive I am energetic, I am grateful, I am courageous, you've actually given us a way to reflect back on what perhaps those more difficult I am statements are and change them to, to the past and continue to look forward. So really appreciate that. Really, really do value that. I'm sure after listening to you today, there are going to be people who are going to be interested in Zen in 10 or want to come and grab your books or even connect with you um, and, uh, and learn more about what you do. So what is the best way to, to reach out to you? Thank you. Yes, the, the best way is just to check out neilseligman.com. Um, and from there, you'll see links to Zen in 10, the books, retreats, all of those types of things. And I really welcome anyone to reach out directly on, on Instagram or wherever you like to DM um, on LinkedIn as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I just enjoy uh, serving people and uh, yeah, meeting new people. Oh, amazing. I will put all those links onto the uh, podcast notes, Neil, so people can easily, um, easily find you. And um, so appreciate our conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alka. It's been brilliant. Very welcome. And I wish everyone listening a happy, healthy day. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. To learn more, please visit www.dralkapatel.com.